Morning, church. Oh, hello. Good morning! Very good morning. Um, glad to be with you this morning. Uh, we can pull that down just a smidge. That's loud for me, and I know it must be loud for y'all. Um, uh, we have been in this series, uh, you can tell by, uh, you can take it down a little bit more, too. Y'all know I get excited sometimes. There we go. That seems better. We're in a series uh, that we've called Faith Under Fire, and we've been asking the question, how is it that we navigate a world that seems hostile to us, and hostile to our faith, and hostile to our Savior? Um, And we've been tempted to point to certain circumstances that are going on in the world globally, um, or things that are happening on the national scene, and to say that these things are new things. However, we've been reminded in this series that Jesus expected this. He said, look, in the world you're going to have trouble, but I give you my peace. Um, The world has hated me, and if you choose to follow me, if you try to represent me to the world around you, to your family, to your neighbors, if you try to follow me and represent me, then the world also will hate you. So be ready for that. And he also said, it is better for you that I go away because I'll send for you a helper. So as we've been looking at this, this, or as we've been exploring this series, Faith Under Fire, this is not a new thing. Um, This is something that even our children and our grandchildren will have to wrestle with in their day, should the Lord tarry. And we we are blessed and privileged to be able to look back at some examples of how God worked in the lives of of some men um, decades and decades, hundreds of years before even Jesus walked the earth. We've been looking together in the book of Daniel, um, and been looking at Daniel's example and the example of uh, his three friends who were in a really uh, precarious situation. They had been literally invaded by a foreign nation and been carried off to a capital city to be re-educated. Um, the culture was so into their re-education, they said, look, I know your mama used to call you Azariah, but that's not what we're going to call you here. We're going to call you by the names of our gods. We're going to re-educate you so that you don't worship where you came from. You don't worship the God of your fathers, but you worship our gods. And they gave these guys new names. And we have seen how the Spirit of God has been working through them to stand in that culture, not hostile and aggressive towards people who are in leadership, but submissive and also still standing firm for their faith. So that's what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. This morning we're going to be in in Daniel chapter 4. And if you're using these blue Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you, Daniel chapter 4 is on page 930. And I'll give you some time to navigate there. And before we begin, before we begin reading, um, I'd like to invite you to pray together with me. So we'll be in Daniel chapter 4, page 930. But before we begin reading the word, I just invite you to pray together with me. It's been our habit as we begin this time um, to, to model, uh, the, the <laughs> model the prayer that Jesus left for us. Um, this isn't a magic spell or an incantation. This doesn't endow, endow us with special powers or blessings. But Jesus said, hey, when you pray, you should pray like this. And so if we're going to pray with these attitudes, it's helpful for us to use the same words. So if you're familiar with this, then um, I'd invite you to pray it with me. If you're not, the words are there on the screen. If you'd like to say it out loud, that's great. But if you bow your hearts and pray together with me. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we begin reading in Daniel chapter 4, there are some things that are going to sound familiar to you if you've been following along with us, and it's going to give me an opportunity to recap, but I'd just like to go ahead and dive in and begin reading Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and visions of my head alarmed me, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. I'll pause there, just to to give you um, a little bit of an overview of what we're covering. So, this chapter is, is kind of unique in Scripture where um, we have a, a personal letter written in the Old Testament. Like the closest thing that I can think of is um, his name escapes me now. The guy who built the wall. Nehemiah, yes. All I had, the only end name I had in my head was Nebuchadnezzar, and that was not it. So Nebuchadnezzar and Nehemiah both wrote letters that kind of get uh, uh, brought into the, the Hebrew scriptures. It's kind of a unique thing. He says, look, I want to tell you about what happened. Let me give you a testimony about what happened. And he says, I was at ease in my house. I had a dream. And this sounds familiar to us as we've been looking at the book of Daniel, <laughs> Um, where he has a dream and he can't figure out what it means. It's disturbing to him, so he calls everybody. He calls all the enchanters, all the magicians. He calls all the Chaldeans um, and the astrologers. But these guys have no idea what's going on. And finally, at last, he calls Daniel. Well, this is not the first time that Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream that he didn't have the interpretation to. And this is not the first time that like, he's called on Daniel. Like The last time, Daniel knocked it out of the park. The last time Daniel interpreted a dream, the king was so excited about it that the king ended up building himself a golden statue. Remember that? Like Daniel knocked it out of the park last time. I don't know why he didn't start with Daniel. 
And we saw, as we were closing last week, that like Nebuchadnezzar's thing is to skip over what God has already done. He's like, he's like a rock that got skipped across a pond that thinks it can fly. It ignores the fact that somebody threw it, and it ignores the fact that it bounced off the water, but it thinks, I can fly, I'm pretty great. That's kind of Nebuchadnezzar's life story. So at the beginning of this, he's having a dream, and he's going back to the same old wells. He's going back to the people that he trusts, um, for whatever reason, to help him navigate this. And then at last, he calls on Daniel. Now he knows, I called you Belteshazzar after the name of my God, but I still call you Daniel. Like, I, I have so much respect for your faith that I acknowledge like, the power that I have and the authority to change your name, but also like your faith is something special. And so I'm going to acknowledge that. And he, and he acknowledges, like, the spirit of the gods is in you. Like, you're a guy who knows how to read dreams. But you see that the wisdom of Babylon here is deficient, again. He's, he's, he's turning on his normal news stations, and he's asking, like, how do, I, how do I navigate the world? Like, how do I know what to do next? But the wisdom of Babylon is deficient, and so he goes to the wisdom of Yahweh through his servant Daniel. And it just makes me wonder, because I really want to not see myself in Nebuchadnezzar when I read this story, but it makes me wonder, what deficient resources do we keep coming back to? What deficient resources do we keep coming back to? What, what sources of information or inspiration or wisdom that we know are deficient, that haven't worked in the past, that have actually made things worse in the past, what deficient resources do we keep coming back to? Let's continue reading in verse 10. Nebuchadnezzar continues because he's actually going to tell us the dream this time. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. Amid the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is, behind, is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. 
So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of a great tree, like a great tree. It grows up, it becomes strong, it's really, really tall. And you can tell that the greatness of it is that its greatness extends to other creatures. Did you notice like the emphasis in the dream wasn't just that it was a really, really big tree, but that the tree was fruitful and that its fruit fed all flesh that the beasts found shade underneath it and the birds took rest in it and, and it fed all flesh. Like the greatness of this tree was actually its care for other beings and not just the tree. I, I point that out because we read together from Luke chapter 22 this morning in our gathering. And the setting of that is it's the night before Jesus was... Uh, tried and executed. And he's having a meal with his disciples. And they don't know it was the Last Supper. That's what we call it, but they had no idea. To them, this was just another Passover. And, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they all are confused. Like, who's going to betray you? Like, and that, that conversation of who would betray Jesus becomes, which of us is the best disciple? Like, which of us is the greatest? Which of us is the one that absolutely for sure is not going to be the one to betray Jesus? And Jesus says, look, you guys, you guys have missed it. The lords of the earth, the, the Gentiles, the, the leaders of the culture, they lord it over one another that they are the rulers. They're the great ones. But that's not how it's supposed to be with you. You demonstrate your greatness by how you serve other people. And he says to his disciples, <laughs> Almighty author of creation says to his disciples, I am among you as one who serves. And he washes their feet that night. The point of the dream is there in verse 17. The watcher, this, this angel that gives this command that the tree is going to be cut down and lopped off. We're going to leave the roots in the ground, but it's going to be cut down. He says, the sentence is by decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end, this is the point, that the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So our big idea for the morning is, in the end, the Most High God reigns over all. He says, the, the whole point of this vision, the angel says, the point of this dream, the point of this vision, the point of this symbolic action of the tree being cut down, the thing that I want you to walk away with is that in the end, the Most High God reigns over all. And Nebuchadnezzar comes to Belteshazzar, comes to Daniel and says, can you tell me what this dream means? And in verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. But Belteshazzar answered and said, my lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree which you saw 
which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of heaven lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of a royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is this not, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for my glory and of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven Be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. I'll pause there. We learned before that God alone holds our future in his hands. This is not the first time that Nebuchadnezzar's received a dream that would indicate what's to happen in the future. And where before God was indicating the greatness of his kingdom, here God indicates there's a humility, there's a humiliation that's coming. And Daniel pleads with him, therefore, O king, in verse 27, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel says, look, like this is the dream. The, the, the time is coming. The, the angels have made this decree that you're to be cut down. And even though your kingdom is going to be preserved, the stump is going to be left in the ground and the roots are still going to be there. Your kingdom is going to be preserved. But you, 
are going to suffer. God's judgment is earned, we see in, in Nebuchadnezzar's story. How many times has Nebuchadnezzar, just in these four chapters, been nose to nose with the greatness of Yahweh, and yet nothing has changed? Remember, remember the greatest miracle of Daniel? You guys laughed at me when I said this, but you remember the greatest miracle of Daniel is that those guys ate vegetables for 10 days and got fat. Like that happened, chapter one. And in chapter two, we had the dream catcher task where Nebuchadnezzar had kind of gone off, off his rocker and said, I need you guys to tell me what the interpretation of my dream is, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. Like, you're going to have to tell me the dream and the interpretation so that I, I know you. And everybody told him, this is impossible. And yet Daniel prayed, and, and, and the Most High God revealed to him the content of the dream and its interpretation. God read Nebuchadnezzar's mind. And remember, his, his takeaway from that was like, I'm the golden head. I need a golden statue. So he builds this golden statue and calls all people together to worship it. And there's three guys that, that don't worship it. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, why don't you worship it? And they say, well, we worship the most high God. Why would we bow down to your stinking little statue thing? He says, all right, well, get thrown into the fire and throws them in the fire and he sees them walking around in the fire and there's no smoke smell on their clothes and none of their hair is burned off. They go into a blazing hot blast furnace and walk out unscathed and Nebuchadnezzar's takeaway from that is we probably ought not to say any curses against their God. And now he has a dream that says, look, there's, there, there's, there's a humbling that's coming. And Daniel says, please. Break off your sins. Break off your iniquities. Practice righteousness and show mercy. See, humility and humiliation are two sides of the same coin. One is voluntary and the other is involuntary. There are, are people that are close to me that my prayer for them is that they come to embrace humility before they're humiliated. That they come to understand their place in the world and their relationship with God and their relationship to other people that they would have a humble view of themselves before something comes upon them that just utterly humiliates them and teaches them that same lesson. In Romans chapter 2, in verses 3 and 4, Scripture exhorts us that God's kindness to us, God's patience to us, is not meant for us to continue to live in rebellion, but his kindness towards us is in order to lead us to repentance. It reads, do you suppose, O oh man, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So face to face with a stump in the ground that used to be a really glorious tree. I don't know if that image 
resonates with you the same way it does with me. Like I, I, I work landscaping, and so trees are important to me. Um, I, I plant them, and I get to watch them. And um, we had a bunch of trees behind our house um, across our property line. Like it was the next the neighbor's, it was somebody else's property, but there were these tall trees that had been there forever. And they decided they wanted to build a house there, but I didn't know that they wanted to build a house there. But one day they come out, and somebody's just cutting down all the trees. And so where one day I had a forest behind my house, the next day I have dirt. And the guys cutting, like, I don't blame the people that cut them down, but in my head I'm going, those trees were there for 50, 75 years. Like, you're not just cutting down a tree that's in your way, you're cutting down time <laughs> that you can't get back. Funny thing about trees is they can't be rushed. You can give them fertilizer and give them what they need, but they're, they're going to grow at the speed that they want to grow at. So for a tree to be cut down is a weighty image. And when we come face to face with that, will we seek God in full repentance? Will we say, God, everything I have came from you. The the greatness that I enjoy in my life, the the riches and the blessing that I have in my life, like all of these things came from you. The the joy of the relationships that I have came from you. Like I I love my parents and I didn't get to pick them, but like I have them and so I'm going to care for them and I thank you for giving me. I didn't choose my children, but they're a blessing in my life. Like, yeah, I kind of picked my job, but ultimately I don't have any control over the people that I work with and yet they're still a blessing to me. Like, Like, God, thank you for all of the things that I enjoy that you have given me. I humble myself before you and I repent. I practice wisdom and righteousness and justice and mercy to the oppressed. Will we seek God in full repentance? Will we put Jesus first as we go through our lives? Because in the end, the most high God reigns over all. You'll recall the beginning of this chapter was kind of like a letter Nebuchadnezzar was writing. And here that that phrase begins to pick up again in verse 34. At the end of days, end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, he, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This chapter draws a lot of criticism from um, people that want to be skeptical of the Bible. Um, It's strange for a foreign king of a foreign nation to write a letter like this and give glory and honor to the God of another nation. Um, In their time, that was equivalent to treason. (laughs) 
because the gods of your country are the thing that give your country the, 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 the glory and the strength, and, and you serve them. So for you to praise and worship a god from another nation is, is treason. And yet, to say that this didn't come from Nebuchadnezzar is an argument from silence. We don't have, we don't have data that, that reflects that. We don't have data necessarily that he spent this time in the wilderness eating grass. But it's an argument from silence. The thing that I think is interesting is, is God's very specific when he wants to be specific. And, and, he's, and he leaves enough wiggle room where he wants some wiggle room. So what does seven periods of time mean? Are we talking seven weeks? Are we talking seven months? Are we talking seven years? Are we talking 70 years? Seven decades? Seven periods of time. In fact, as we go through the rest of the book of Daniel, periods of time is going to mean different things in different chapters. Just judging by the length of his hair, like his hair was as long as eagle's feathers. And like that sounds like seven months to me, maybe. And God drops on him, I think probably, I'm going to use some modern terms to try to help us wrap our head around it. And I'm not making statements that every time these things occur that they're judgment from God. I'm just trying to help us grasp it. God drops on him a terrible case, a debilitating case of mental illness where he loses his reason, where he's depressed. He can't think straight. He can't put two and two together. His, his diet is off. He can't communicate with people for seven periods of time. And I'm not, like, I'm not saying that every, every instance of mental illness is judgment from God. I'm saying that that's what's happening here in this very particular situation. And what do you do when the king loses his marbles for seven months? What do you, how do you talk about that? What, what do you put in, in the records? I don't know. But I trust the Bible. I trust that what we have here is an accurate representation of something that occurred within history. And what I think is interesting, and I just want to point this out to you in case you missed it, he, he goes from, we cannot say any curses against God Most High, we cannot say any curses against Yahweh, to, I blessed the Lord Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven. Here's a, here it is. And among the inhabitants of the earth. Where in the chapter before, he was saying to those three boys, he says, what God will save you out of my hand? And in the chapter before that, in chapter two, the, um, the priests and the, the magicians were all saying, God's, the, only the gods could reveal this dream and they don't dwell among flesh. Nebuchadnezzar understands now that the most high God dwells among flesh. He cares about what's going on in our world. He cares about what's going on in our lives. And he cares about what's going on in our heart. And he cares about the instances where we have set up ourselves in pride and arrogance against him. And he wants to wash us clean. God's judgment may be earned, but his grace is free. 
And at the time where his reason returned to him, he began to see things as they are. He saw his relationship to the divine and his role in the kingdom in the right perspective. And he gives glory and honor to the Most High God. And one more thing, I'm going to draw you back to the beginning of the chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Everybody that he called upon to come and worship his golden statue to tell him how great he was, he now calls upon to give glory and honor and praise to the Most High God who dwells among flesh, who is not held captive, who holds our future in his hands, and who reigns over all. So what do we do with what God tells us about himself? What have we done with God t- what tell yeah what have we done with what God tells us about himself? When he reveals stuff to us, what do we do? I think old Neb was a fatalist or at the very least a determinist. Like he, he heard the dream. He's like, all right, well, this dream is, is that the tree's going to be cut down. There's nothing I can do. I guess I'm just going to have to live my life. And he goes 12 months before the dream comes true, before he, he breaks, before he snaps. And I wonder if he thought the whole time, I have no choice in this. But I, again, will we'll draw your attention to Daniel's plea with him. Break off your sins. turn. Just because God has said judgment is coming, it is his grace that he has told you that. And it is his grace that it hasn't happened yet. And in that season of grace where we come to understand that God is working in our hearts, we have to respond. What have we done with what God tells us about himself? Because in the end, God Most High reigns over all. Would you pray together with me? Lord Jesus, this chapter um, ties into so many themes that you have included in your word. Father, hallowed be your name. Would you, would you help us to humble ourselves in your sight and acknowledge that you are the one who is in control? And God, as we feel the weight of that, would you remind us that it is your great love and tenderness which tells us Left to our own devices, we would just continue life as though we were the center of the universe. But God, it's in your care for us that you tell us that you reign over all. And you will not share your glory. Would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Would you give us this day our daily bread? Would you help us to know what next steps we need to take? And would your spirit lead us on through this week as we navigate our culture and our families and our workplaces? 
Would you lead us not into temptation? Would you deliver us from evil? Particularly the temptation to be unforgiving towards people that offend us. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.